Welcome to Write, Read, and Write. I am Josiah Seth Gray, and as always, I'm joined by Adam Preston Peril. So today we are embarking on a journey that will challenge us to break down the narrative structures and put these into simplified, more understandable pieces that you can digest and then apply in all your stories. Together, we will break down Joseph Campbell's hero's journey and a three-act structure, or is that four-act, Josiah? It's three. That's three acts. All right. And then we're going to make for your exams or maybe just perhaps with your personal writing hobbies. So, yeah, uh, Adam will take the hero's journey. I'll take the three act structure. We'll just kind of smash these together and see what works and what doesn't. But before we get into our explanations and discussions, Adam, do you have any suggestions or recommendations for this week? Oh, yes, I do. I've, I've missed this. You know me. I, I love giving suggestions, being helpful, helpful little tips. Mm. Um, so I do have a recommendations. And this week, I would like to suggest that any AirPod users out there check out the Elago. That's E-L-A-G-O. AirPod earhooks. Um, I run a lot and I have AirPods and they don't usually stay well in my ears. So having these Elago AirPod hooks, um, I mean, they keep me from worrying about them falling out. Um, I honestly, like they're, they're a bit pricey, not the hooks, but the AirPods. So getting some not too expensive, maybe like $7, uh, hooks to keep them in my ears is, is a blessing. And I definitely recommend that. Nice. That's a great suggestion. I actually got some AirPods yesterday, so I've officially joined that kind of cliche group of people. <laughs> You're a cliche. Now, so am I. <laughs> But I've, I've actually always wondered how you keep your AirPods in when you're going for runs because you go for like, you know, 500 mile runs. Uh, yeah, 500 miles is a bit long for me, but uh, maybe one day. Uh, let's <laughs> more along about like 10 kilometers. You, know, you don't want to constantly be touching your ears to push the headphones in. You want to be able to relax and focus on the road. So they're pretty good. Yeah, and even worse, you don't want to accidentally lose a $100 piece of plastic because that would just suck and ruin your run. But uh, are you getting paid for this promo? Uh, not at all. Um, we do not have paid advertising at the moment. Um, I don't know if that's coming in Zoom or ever. I just really want people to feel free when they move. And, you know, if you're going to wear Apple products, you know, it's best not to be frustrated. No resentment, especially if you're going to spend 100 200 bucks. Don't worry about it, but uh, our listeners. Well, I do have some suggestions in a second, but I, I did just want to check first and you know make sure we weren't making any money off this podcast because if we were, I would want in on some of that cash. Yeah, if we make money, we'll make a Patreon probably eventually, but not today. Do you have any Not other today. suggestions other than that I monetize our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, let's not monetize it. Not yet. Let's let's get that mass following it. But I, I, I do know you love your Patreon, so maybe, yeah, we'll we'll get there eventually. But if we're if we're gonna get techy, uh, my suggestion is uh, everyone should download the uh, the app Whisk because it's something I found. It's so much fun. It's uh it's this cooking app, and I love recipes, and I love my phone, and I, I love shopping. Not not for clothes. I love shopping for food. Um, but normally I don't love all those things together because normally they don't kind of click well. But Whisk really does. So 
it, like if you find a recipe online, you can just quickly like add it to the app and it transcribes the whole thing with it's super cool. And then if you want to go shopping for that recipe, you just you push a button and it adds it to a shopping list on the app. So it's super cool. I just love everything that kind of works together like that. I'm really nerdy about tech. So yeah, even better, this app is also free. So if you like cooking and shopping and apps and free things, you, you should try Whisk. I've even added some of my own recipes on there because it's just so much fun. Honestly, if, if we get a following, I think we'd make really good advertisements for the people who want us to advertise them. I think we're good at this. We are. Go try Whisk. You can find it free on the App Store or Google Play Store. <laughs> All right. Our Google we'll, Play Store. We'll, we'll work. We'll, we'll work on that <laughs> once we start making money. But um, Adam, we, we should probably start talking today about something related to English and writing. So your hero's uh, journey, uh, your segment is called separation, right? What is that? So separation is significant. Um, and I, it's actually more than just one part. It, it breaks down into several parts. But it's, it's significant because this is, I mean, it can also be called the departure but it's taking some state and moving them into the, the adventure. So the natural state is also called the ordinary world. It's, it's where a hero starts. It's, um, for example, let's say in science fiction movies, it's Ender when he's just hanging out with his family and he's being bullied by his siblings and having troubles at school for being a third. That's his ordinary world. It's before he, he does any sort of heroic acts, you figure out who the character is. Um, with Marvel movies, it's Tony Stark. Uh, before he actually becomes Iron Man, he's a playboy billionaire. He's just selling weapons, making money, having fun. This is the ordinary world. It's the hero before they're the hero. And it's important to see that because with any journey, you, there is a change. <laughs> helps you identify where you're going um but wait you just then, you just gave me a couple you gave me a couple examples that are kind of action like sci-fi movies so uh, what if i don't want to write a an adventure movie what if i want to write a romance then it's the uh God, i think there was a 10 things i hate about you um which is also based on a shakespearean play um, Taming of the Shrew, but that starts off with the nerd being nerdy and not really getting the girl. Um, it starts with the girls being frustrated because one sister doesn't want to date and one girl, Bianca, can't date until her sister does. And so we sort of have the status quo or the ordinary world before characters start interacting and building adventures for each other. So if it's a romance, it might be a character who's just has no luck in love. Or somebody who's new to a school and finds it like somebody. I could bring up Twilight on this, but I'm going to hesitate on that because I don't really like Twilight. Um, and I prefer not to encourage our students to think about that terrible, terrible series. Well, I'm Team Edward, so. I don't even know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was like 10 years ago or five. Dear, or dear, dear listeners, dear <laughs> listeners, if you don't know what Team Edward is, I love you. <laughs> All right, so uh, you know, what happens after we yeah. have our status quo introduced? So you have your status quo, and let's go start. Luke is hanging out. He's a bratty punk. He just wants to hang out with his friends. His uncle wants him to go clean some moisture uh, evaporators or whatever. And, you know, he doesn't want to, and that's a bratty teenager. 
Well, you know, then something terrible happens and his droids run off and he finds out that he is the one of the chosen Jedi sons that could possibly go and help Obi-Wan Kenobi save a princess. And he's like, yeah, I don't think so. So that happens with those movies and probably 10 minutes, 15 minutes maximum. A hero will get a call to action, which means something to motivate them to leave their ordinary world. And then they tend to refuse the call to action. And we like this hesitancy because it sort of builds in a bit of drama um, and the, the character. And it's sort of realistic. When we're comfortable in our own world, we don't tend to, we don't tend to leave it. Um, oh, there's a Neil Gaiman movie and also books. I think it's Starlight? No. What's it called? Do you know what I'm talking oh, Star about? Stardust. Stardust, yeah. Stardust. Stardust, yeah. Fantastic movie in which, you know, this this young man is in love and he can cross this wall. He's told if he crosses the wall, he, he you know, he'd be able to get a star for his his romantic partner. Girl he loves who doesn't really love him. And he's like, no, no, I shouldn't. But then one day he does. He just runs across the wall, right? He goes for it. Um, and so this is a refusal to answer the call after a call to action. And then finally it happens. Now, do you have any questions so far, Josiah? Well, just, yeah, at, not really any questions because we are going to compare this to the, you know, the three act structure in a second. But uh, sorry, there, there was a, a mentor moment as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So that comes next. So, I mean, sometimes they're mixed and matched, but. Like a mentor might give the call to action and then the person refused the call, but then the mentor will still be there, um, such as in Star Wars. But sometimes there's a call to action, refuse to call, and then a supernatural event happens or a mentor happens and then the person crosses the threshold. Um, there are a lot of movies and a lot of stories to choose from. And I'm going to stick with Star Wars and Obi-Wan Kenobi because it's a story dear to my heart. When I lived in West Africa, I lived in a village. And my, my neighbors asked me my name. I told them to call me Obi-Wan. So for two years, people called me Obi-Wan. I just want to let everyone know I'm a nerd. If you didn't believe me before, now you do. Help <laughs> me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Yes. Yes, that's essentially it. Um, but And so... so with your, your your mentioning crossing a threshold as well, so we have Obi Wan who is our our mentor. But when what do you mean by a threshold? I, is that like a, a literal? Because you said a wall for dust uh, for stardust, so that yes. seems like a literal threshold. What other kind of thresholds would there be? It's the point of no return, essentially. So it's when let's say Luke gets into the Millennium Falcon and heads off with Han Solo and Obi Wan Kenobi. He's crossed the threshold. He's off on the adventure. There's no turning back. You know, right? Kind of like when I signed up for this podcast and and could never, you know, not do this podcast with you anymore, right? I don't want people thinking that you're a prisoner that I keep in my basement. <laughs> but if they do, they may not be wrong. <laughs> I'm in your basement. Dark. Okay, I didn't realize that. <laughs> well, I get dark. But you know, even let's say let's go back to Iron Man crossing the threshold for him is after he talked to the mentor who was the scientist in the cave. You know, he he goes into the pseudo and he he goes out and becomes Iron Man. So 
there there's a lot that you see in a lot of stories whether it be marvel whether it be science fiction and i'm sure you'll talk about fantasy in the future because you've called dibs on fantasy yep called dibs um, on fantasy even though they work totally much more clearly in my call to action refuse to call to natural <laughs> i'll give it to you that's but, true when it comes to hero's journey hero's journey is a fantasy term it's a, a based on myth jo- uh, joseph campbell looked at ancient myths so I, I suppose this should be your side three-act structure is for screenplays and movies so really i should be using the star wars reference but it's Crap, okay we're and, to, we're got to fix this for next episode but <laughs> but i just also want to point it out for like Man, you know, the mentor might be like the the friend who hooks you up on a date, who like is that that minor character in the movie who's just like, hey, and then the one they talk to later whenever there's some heartbreak. Um, I think Aquafina plays that role in Crazy Rich Asians. Um, just oh, the. I... <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. I thought you were going to reference Aquafina in the latest Shang Chi movie, and I was like, don't tell me any spoilers. I haven't watched it yet, Adam. But, well, neither okay, no, have I. I live in Thailand and everything's closed. <laughs> okay, well, well, I'll watch it and spoil it for you then. That sounds perfect. <laughs> well, I mean, just so that everyone knows, like, it doesn't just work for science fiction fantasy. It works for horror. Um, it works for romance. It's anytime there's a character that has to go through a sequence of events to evolve or to better or to escape an aspect of either themselves or the world, you will see this pattern. But that's all we're going to talk about today is just the ordinary world, which is status quo, a call to action, which is the motivation to do something new in your life. Someone saying, nah, I'm not ready for it yet, which is the refusal of the call. And then having a mentor or a supernatural event sort of push someone to cross the threshold. And we'll talk more about that on the next podcast. What about right. you, and so, What you got for us today? So we're going to break this podcast into four chunks. And, and that's why, yeah, Adam, you were mentioning, you know, is it a four-act structure? Because I said we should do four parts. But it is actually a three-act structure. And that's because uh, if you look at this in a, a movie, the, the middle act, act two, which we'll talk about in two sections, takes up like half the plot it's or more. Um, whereas the first act, it's like 25% or less. And so the uh, joseph campbell's hero's journey that's quite like an ancient uh, story structure obviously it still is true today still used uh but it's used more in books whereas the three-act structure it's used in books as well but it's a quite a classic movie structure and so we're going to compare these two um the what adam you were talking about with getting up to that threshold the threshold moment in uh the three-act structure has happens at the end of the act. So we'll, we're, we're, we're gonna do is talk through just quickly those the three main parts of, um, of the three act structure for three parts for act one. And that's the exposition, the kind of the hook. And then we have an inciting incident and then we've got our first main big plot point, plot point one. So um, when you were thinking about these, these two uh, story structures also work really well side by side. If you look at some like digital diagrams that a lot of times they superimpose these because they do like work together quite well, but sometimes there's some differences. So our first one, the exposition hook, this is very similar to Adam's uh, point about the, the ordinary world. Where is the, the, our character, our hero um, at the beginning? So, uh, 
we're going to use, you know, fantasy, the Hobbit for, for this example. Um, so this is all about setting stage in the Hobbit. I'll just read the first opening paragraph. Uh, we have Tolkien writes in a hole in the ground, there lived a Hobbit, not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the ends of worms and the oozy smell nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. That's the first paragraph. And you know, Tolkien is opening up this idea of what is a hobbit, and it's all just exposition. Nothing's actually happening right now. He's just kind of – it's our opening shot, what's going to happen. Uh, if you have a, a movie, normally that this is more of a hook, like something exciting happening that's going to draw you in. And, but this is, this is the same with the ordinary world. Actually, the exposition sometimes goes really long if you read Tolkien, like The Hobbit. It's like he goes into all this random stuff about like ancestors of Bilbo Baggins and how one of them like invented the game of golf, which I always thought was really weird as a kid. I never heard that in history class. But you know, all this kind of crazy stuff. What are your thoughts on kind of the exposition versus the, the ordinary world, Adam? See, I'm, I'm a little torn because so much of my writing classes and discussions were always saying, get straight to the action, start with the action in a story. And when you're setting the stage with the exposition, it's an art that I appreciate and one that I loved reading when I was getting older. I love the world building that starts with it. But as a current writer, I feel like we're, we're being pushed away from it. But it does exactly what the hero journey is supposed to. It sets up the ordinary world. Um, especially within a fantasy, you need that baseline so you don't think, you know, all these magical things that are happening are new, that this is the standard and everything happening with the characters outside of this ordinary world is important. But, you know, I mean, I, it, it's almost it's a lost art, in my opinion. What do you think? Well, and... I don't actually like the use of the term exposition. Uh, the, some other people use the, the term opening image, which I actually really prefer uh, because exposition, it does have this idea of someone just sitting there and talking to you. And the start of The Hobbit is that way because a lot of fantasy is that way. But a lot of action, adventure, sci-fi movies or romance as well, they're not going to start with a lot of exposition. They're going to start with something happening. My uh, the One of uh, the best opening images uh, in my opinion, in the movie, is uh, Indiana Jones. What is the first thing that happens in the Indiana Jones movies? And uh, the first one, it's they're trying to get into, they're hiking up a mountain to go into the temple with the locals, and the locals tell them they're not going to go any further, and then Indiana Jones and his assistant go into the temple. Yeah, and then and it ends with and then snakes. Chased by a giant boulder, and, uh, you know, that's a very iconic scene and it's been done re and redone in so many different things. But does that actually have anything to do with the plot of Indiana Jones, that movie? No, it's all just about telling us who Indiana Jones is. Exactly. And so that's what that opening image is. It, it's kind of giving us this feeling of what is same with the, the, yeah, the first star Wars movies. There is more plot there with the image of Darth Vader, you know, taking, uh, you know, getting princess leadership but that's we get this feel for this you know galactic empire thing and then we start with our character so oh, you, wait, moving just, on wait. yeah oh man no 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 you opened up a can of worms because that opening scene, <laughs> that small that small freighter that small freighter being just like it looks huge in space and then a star destroyer just goes right over it and you see how massive the empire is 
and how disadvantaged the rebellion is. It's just, that's the scale they give you. That's the feeling. Oh, it hits me hard. Exactly. But that's the opening image. It gives you an uh, understanding of what's, you know, what's at stake here or what the character is like or for the Indiana Jones one. But it's not actually telling you. We haven't actually started the story yet. Nothing has happened that's important to what, you know, to the character, our main protagonist yet. Right? Right. Exactly. So if, if our inciting incident, which is the next bit, the inciting incident, that's the same thing as this kind of call to adventure, this moment that something happens that pushes our, our protagonist into the story. And the, at this point, they can either say yes, you know, and they can engage or they can do that refusal of the call. They can say no. Sometimes they, they say yes. I like just saying yes. It's more fun. But uh, in the case of The Hobbit, we have uh, here's the paragraph Bilbo saw that morning, an old man with a staff. He had a tall pointed hat, a long gray cloak, a silver scarf over which his long white beard hung down below his waist and immense black boots. Good morning, said Bilbo. And the sun was shining and the grass was very green. But Gandalf looked at him from under long bushy eyebrows that stuck out further than the brim of his shady hat. So we have this new character introduced. Who is this character? Adam? Gandalf. Gandalf. And what does he symbolize? What it, you, you mentioned this in your story. In your... He symbolizes, well, he symbolizes the mentor. Symbolizes sort of a call to action and the outside world coming into the ordinary world and instigate, well, instigating trouble as the hobbits might say. <laughs> yeah, so we've got the supernatural uh, character. It doesn't, for the call, the inciting incident, it doesn't always have to be the supernatural, the mentor character who right. pushes this on to happen. But in the case of the hobbit, we have the mentor creating this inciting moment. He inv invites Bilbo onto this journey, this quest to, to uh, defeat Smaug, the dragon, and all the dwarves and everything. And we have all this being built. We have more chap you know, chapters and scenes of, of exposition, basically. But then we, we can just kind of zoom forward to the next really important moment of our act one, which is the first plot point. And this is the, the moment that is really important because we are leaving uh, Act 1. We're leaving our ordinary world. We're going somewhere else that's strange and foreign. And this is the moment that the character says, yes, I'm going to join this adventure. I am going to uh, say hi to that girl if this is a romance or say hi to that boy if it could be a different kind of romance. Or, uh, you know... I am going to join Obi-Wan Kenobi and get on the Millennium Falcon. I'm going to jump over the wall and go after this star. Like this is the moment that the protagonist decides, hey, I'm actually going to, you know, join this you know, story on whatever story this is. If they just said no and refused the call and then didn't do anything, then stepped out of the story completely, our story is done and act two, act three never happened. And I think that's really important writing. You don't want to make it too easy to say no or too easy to say yes. You know, stories are all about conflicts. And if the conflict is easy to agree to take on or easy to agree to shrug off, then the weight of that conflict is lost to the reader. And they might like, you know, the, the, the background, some plot devices, some magic, but the, the whole human choice aspect sort of gets lost and is less important. And I, I feel like it's really important to, 
to make sure that, that our readers understand that when you're, you're creating this, this, you know, this desire to move forward in a character, it, they, they should have some sort of hesitancy. It should not be an easy thing. Because if it's easy to say yes to, then your character is most likely not going to change in it. And it's, it's something that, like, that you need to consider. Is like, is your conflict really worthy of the weight of an adventure or of a story? Um, and if not, can, can you give it that significance before they set off on the adventure? Right. And sometimes this is all about just uh, giving some kind of perspective. The, hum- the, the hero doesn't have to refuse the call, cause, and that, that sometimes doesn't happen. But the, the hero often has to judge whether they want to say yes, because if it, as you said, if it's too easy, then it's not going to be a, a good story. If, um, you know, if the romance is about a, a you know guy and girl you know talking to each other it's not a big deal if you know if they're already friends that's not much so we have to raise the stakes somehow and make this dramatic in some way so the story is actually interesting agreed right so that that's the end of uh, kind of talk about act one for me several of the, these story ideas they kind of fit together like we said and we'll continue with kind of act two and act three uh in the subsequent episodes but uh adam what do you think our students should do with this kind of information what homework would you like them to work on for this developing separation in act one well i want them to organize an anarchist group and and overpower the 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 power of the state and set up their own governments um but before that (laughs) and i (laughs) want them to refuse that call (laughs) dang it i'm a magical mentor Mentor. You're an anarchist. That's what you are. <laughs> well, you know, anyways. So I want students to write outlines for per- perhaps potential ordinary worlds, call to action, refusal of the call, and meeting of the mentor. Just outline it, possible combinations of what the ordinary world could be, what a call of action could be. It could be your screen turns on and it says, hello, Neo. Um, it could be, I don't know what pill to take. It could be Morpheus saying, just take the red pill. I'm your mentor. Up the matrix. I forgot to put that earlier. Uh, <laughs> use different settings and context. Next time, doing... next week. Oh, God. Um, you could be a student at a school or an elf in a forest, but try to have different settings and context and see how you can plan for your character to go through different steps and, until they get to the point where they cross the threshold to an adventure when they take that red pill. Um, but what is your suggestion for homework, Josiah? So my suggestion, thinking about next week, we'll be kind of going into the into Act Two, leaving this uh, this ordinary world, going into this strange world, and so we'll be thinking, uh, you know, what this place is. But before we do that, I want you to be thinking about why. Why are the these characters leaving their ordinary world? This could be for a lot of different reasons. And that's why I want you to realize it doesn't have to just be one standard reason. Bilbo, he is offered an adventure uh which he didn't want to take. Uh yeah, but in my opinion, he he chooses it because in you know his heart of hearts, he knows he's kind of bored with Hobbiton, and or maybe he's he was just a bit curious about the world. But he has that reason that pushes him to join Gandalf, and he goes off on an adventure. And if you know the the meme from the Hobbit, it's yeah, I'm on an adventure, and Martin Freeman's running towards the camera. So that moment, and it's very fun and happy and perky. But there could be other reasons, like uh, you mentioned Iron Man, and Iron Man. Um, it's not positive. Tony Stark gets 
you know, didn't choose to get kidnapped by the Ting Rings. They they trap him, and they he has to choose to fight back and make the Iron Man armor. And right there, we've kind of got the inciting incident is kidnapping, and then we've got that first big uh, plot point, which is building the armor and fighting back. And what the world he's entering is the world of superheroics. He's becoming a superhero. So it's not like a, a new literal world. It's more of this idea that he's, he's entering this thing. So uh, maybe make a list of like five stories um, that you really love and ask yourself, why does the character leave what's normal and easy in their world and go into this new world? And that will actually normally lead you to what the inciting incident of that story is. Excellent. That should keep them busy for at least a week. Definitely. For some writers, trying to figure this out keeps them busy for years. So I think a week is good. But stay tuned for Act 2 uh, and The Descent next week. That's the topic. Uh, we will explore how these problems can grow and our characters can get in way over their heads. This has been a most excellent and long episode of Write, Read, and Write. Stay tuned. <laughs>